We're going to look at one essential requirement to grow and mature as a Christian. And if you've had kids, one of the things you surely want to do is you want, to, you want them to grow, you want them to be healthy, and you want them, of course, to mature. And as part of it as a Christian, you cannot get away from the Bible. The Bible is absolutely foundational. And it is impossible to grow without a regular intake of the Bible. The Bible is the most famous book in the world. It's the, it's the biggest seller. In fact, since 1815, current estimates say there's been about 5 billion Bibles printed. And each year alone, there are over 100 million given away. However, there's a problem. Of those 5 billion, and of the people that have Bibles, most don't even know what's in the Bible. They're ignorant of its contents. Even some Christians say, I read the Bible, and I read it, but I want to get more out of it. I want to get more out of my Bible. So today, I'm going to focus on three keys that are going to unlock the Bible. And the first one, I just want you to draw your attention to, first verse, is 1 Peter 2.2. 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow. There's a connection between the word and growth. Get it? That's really important. There's a connection between the word of God and growth. And God wants every Christian to grow. Just like healthy babies, they need good nourishment, they need good food to grow. And the Bible, as the Word of God, is our spiritual food. Matthew 4 4. Context Jesus is going through the first trial, the temptation. And where's that found? Matthew 4 4. And he's been tempted by the, by the devil. And I'm using the ESV version here. And he answers, but he, Jesus, answered, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So it's the one I've memorized, that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus here is a he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy 8.3. Guess what that means straight away? He'd memorized it, right? He'd internalized the word of God. And he's also, by the very fact of doing that, endorsing the Old Testament as the inerrant, authoritative word. He quotes it as authoritative. Never forget that. There's a weird bit of thinking floating around some Christian circles I want to put the sword to right now. The whole of the word of God, from Genesis through to Revelation, is completely inspired. All of the Bible is about one person. In the summary, it's about Jesus the whole lot. You can see it way back in Genesis and you can see it right the way through to Revelation. Jesus is in every single book. All of the word of God is inspired. And he was affirming the inerrant word of God. Now the first key, you want to, if you want to get more from the Bible and you want to get um, blessed by the Bible, the first key, just like Jesus did then, I must accept its authority. My attitude to the Bible makes a dramatic difference. And it's one of the reasons why believers get more out of the Bible than unbelievers. First Thessalonians 2.13 
We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, you received it, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Notice this. Not as the word of just, what he's saying is merely men, not at all, but actually as it is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Now notice, the Bible claims there to be the word of God, so I need to accept this authority. And this is a key issue. What or who will be an authority in my life that has the rights to call the shots on the decisions I make in life? Everybody in this room, everybody at your work has an authority in their life that they consider an authoritative source. For some of them, it's their wives. <laughs> and vice versa. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's the kids. What they say goes. Everybody has an, authorita- uh, 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 an authoritative source which you look to when they're making decisions. So what you ba- base your choices on. Now the Bible is that authority for Christians. And one of the reasons why there's so much confusion today in this world is people are asking, well, who's right? Who's right? You're listening to conflicting all authorities. How, when Grant and I were kids, let me tell you this. Eggs were off the table. You do that, you're going to have a heart attack. An egg is a cholesterol bomb, right? Or butter. Oh, God forbid, that's why we have all these heart attacks. Saturated fats. Everybody, don't laugh. Harvard, um, Lancet, uh, Medical Journal, the British Medical Society, all were in coat. Yep, 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 yep. This is totally wrong. Now, it's flipped. Have you noticed it's all gone the other way? You think about the amount of sugar that we used to have back then. No, nobody was squawking about sugar then. Everybody's squawking about sugar now. They say that's the new cancer. The cause of it, the food for it. Conflicting authorities. Now, that doesn't matter whether it's medicine or whether it's finance. Sell. Buy. No, buy. No, sell. You know, when is, should I sell my home? The whole market could collapse. Yes, no. Who do you listen to? And politics. This is the way. No, that's the way. Very confusing. So who says? Now, there were also folks around to add to this confusion who said, well, you know what? Nobody's right, and there's no absolute right and absolute wrong. Now, when somebody says that, what should you say? There's no absolute wrong and no absolute right. What should you say? Are you absolutely sure? They're talking double Dutch, and we just let that go past us. Don't do that. You fall into their mental games. If somebody says there's no such thing as absolute wrong or absolute truth, they're making an absolute claim. Get it? Good. Use that. The Bible makes absolute claims. So, four unreliable sources very quickly that people use at work and in our lives sometimes too to make critical decisions instead of the scriptures. Here's the first one. Culture. Culture. Well, everybody's doing it. So what? It doesn't matter. You know, it's kind of like politics by polls. Whatever the polls say, that's what I'm supporting. But the Bible, on the other hand, says, no, 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 no. We even talked about this last week. Exodus 23, 2. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. This is going to come up. 
when we get into this euthanasia debate, that is a moral issue. That's not political. That's not for grabs. People have their opinions. You know what? Here's the deal. This sounds, at first blush, very audacious. Not all opinions are equal. The only one that matters is God's. Not mine. Who gives a rip? What I think. What I want to know is what God thinks, and whatever he says, I'm on that side. <laughs> That's where it goes. Scripture shows very often, very, very, very often, the majority wrong. And that's what the Bible says the, the Scripture is given, to give us an example. To get courage when the whole tide's going against you. And by the way, that is coming. When you read the Scriptures, the tide is going to move again. It's going to get worse, not better, morally. Wait till we have threesomes called thruples in this country. They're coming. Well, why, why do you restrict me to two? How about three or more? You're going to see that in this country. But we need to stand up. And the majority are going to be so apathetic, they're not going to do anything. And therefore, it's just going to get passed. Culture is one. Second, tradition. Tradition. People use traditions as a way to see things and make decisions instead of Scripture. And tradition says, well, we've always done it that way. That is unreliable. Jesus says it here in Mark 7, verse 8. He's speaking, for you ignore God's law and you substitute your own tradition. So here's what God says, but you go to one side and instead you follow your tradition. That's what you do. Remember, now this, is a, this shows you so powerful. Do not undercall us. Acts chapter, what is it? 10 verse 9. This is the classic illustration of how tradition, the way you've always done things, can overrule what God wants. Peter is a subject here. He's waiting for lunch and he's feeling a bit snoozy. So he's on the roof having a snooze whilst people are preparing lunch. He's shattered. And, of course, he has this vision. As you go and read that in Acts 10, 9, you see there a classic illustration where traditions and personal biases overrule God's will. Peter was trying to be scrupulously uh, following God's will, but he followed it beyond God's will. And his intentions were good, but he was actually being disobedient, where God said, eat and he said, oh, no, Lord, I couldn't do that. I've never done that before. I could not do that. We've never done it that way. For years they've done it that way, and God says, no, don't let traditions make your decisions with my word. Third is basically human reason. And, and, the, and, and the sound there is, and the thought there is, well, I've always thought. Well, who cares what I've thought? What we really want, that's the wrong question. What we really want to know is what does God think? Because if there is a God, and some of you in this room are still figuring that out, if there is a God, what he thinks is very important, right? So the right question is, what does God think? And the Bible says this, and it's very clear. The scriptures are very clear. Proverbs 16, 25. There is a way that seems right to men. But in the end, it leads to death. It's a dead end. Again, consult the counselor. The Holy Spirit is a counselor. He will guide you. 
Don't follow traditions and human reason. But the most common reason today, an authority relied on in New Zealand, are personal feelings. That's what it is. Personal feelings. I believe it because I feel it. Brian Adams used to have a song, How Can It Be So Wrong When It Feels So Right? That was his song. Folks, if it's contrary to the Word of God, it is wrong. It's wrong regardless of how it feels. And many today are fooled by following their feelings instead of the clear mandate of Scripture. The Bible also records this in the book of Judges. Judges 21 verse 25, it says this, Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Well, I think this is all right. I'll just live my life the way I think, the way we have agreed. You see, my wife and I have agreed, and so that must be right. Hmm. I think we need to just check with the source first. And as a consequence, people do their own thing, and there aren't absolutes. Now, the problem with that is there's no one higher than themselves that they need to answer to with that type of thinking. And there is only one completely reliable authority, and that is God's Word. Here it is, 2 Timothy 3. The whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God and is useful. Notice there's four things here. To teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out, and boy, do we need that. And it helps us to do what is right. It's God's way of making us well-prepared at every point. Now, that's the starting point for every Christian. And if you don't get anything else today, settle this. I'm going to accept the Bible as the authoritative, final authority in every issue of my life. doesn't matter what I feel or what somebody else thinks or what tradition thinks or what culture thinks. doesn't matter about that. But what does the Bible say? Because God's word never contradicts his will because it's the same author and God is not schizophrenic. So the Bible says this, every word of God is flawless. That's Proverbs 30 verse 5. Every word of God is flawless. Of course, because an all-knowing God never makes a mistake. So first I must accept his authority. Now once I've settled that issue, then it comes to the second point in getting more out of the Bible, and this is the key one. After you accept its authority, I must then assimilate its truths. A closed Bible is worthless. No good gathering dust. You've got to get into your life. And the Bible's truths must be assimilated. The points, the principles, and the lessons. Let me quickly suggest five ways to effectively get God's Word into my life, off the print, and into my life. Now, like the crowds, many in the crowds who came to... When Jesus spoke, many, many... The, the Bible talks about crowds of people coming to listen. They believed his message. Do you know that? The Bible says that. They believed his message. But, and it's a very big but... They never got around to doing anything about it. He said, yeah, sounds good. No problem with that. But they didn't do anything. Luke 8, 13 and verse 18. You can read the whole lot, but for sake of time, I've chosen 13 and 18. 
Those that are on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy. This is, he's talking about the seed. When the seed fell on the stony ground. They received it with joy, but they have no root. That's a problem. If you're planting something and the roots start to die on hard ground, you ain't going to survive. Then he says this, very important. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. It's like when you do a direct transfer on your internet banking and somebody's given you a number. You're very, very careful that that number's exactly the right one, right? Because you won't be feeding somebody else's bank account. <laughs> you need to get it dead right. He says, consider carefully how you listen. The rocky soil were the people who only accepted the facts of the word of God mentally. And then they rejected it when the going got tough. They rejected it when the going got tough. And God wants us to receive. And that word receive is the word, the Greek word dekamai. And that's used in hospitality a lot. It's, come on in. Come on in. Nice to see you. Welcoming. Come on in. That's what it means. With an open attitude and a teachable. It's more than just hearing. Oh, I hear that knock at the door. It means come on in. Now, question. Can you hear without listening and acting? Anybody had kids? <laughs> of course you can. You may be, maybe somebody's even here right now and you're hearing these words, but your mind is a thousand clicks away. You can hear. I remember, now this is old. Some of you will remember this. In the old days, we used to have the TVs that you had to tune. And we had two sorts of tuning. Apart from when you had the rabbit ears, you had a vertical hold, which would keep the picture from going this way, and a horizontal hold. Sorry, other way around. Vertical and a horizontal hold. And you had to tune it to get the right reception. Anybody remember that? Yeah, okay. To get a clear picture. Now, when I'm not getting a clear picture from the Word of God, maybe my relationships aren't right. Poor relationships often create poor reception. And I need to get them in order. Then I'll be more receptive. Again, Hebrews 2 verse 1. We must pay more careful attention. I sense the Spirit of God saying that today. To what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. So it, how much effort does it take to drift? Absolutely zero. How much does it take to row against the tide? You try that sometime. A lot. Here's the problem, factually. We forget 95% of what we hear within 72 hours. That's a very depressing statistic for your pastor. <laughs> very. That's what your university lecturers say. Write it down. You will never remember it. Write it down. And the best way to improve your hearing that I know of is to take notes. If you are serious about wanting to grow, would you show up to a calculus lecture and just sit there and go, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I like that curve. Reflection point there. Hmm. No, no, no. Because about three days later, you go, what? How in the world do I do that? 
So he says, pay more carefully. So take notes. How can you tell when people are receiving the word of God? Here's what will happen. Their lives and their attitude and their outlook change. You can see it. The spirit of God changes those three. I love that. Their lives, their attitude, and their outlook start to change. And it's for the good. Notice this. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So if I want to, so they, they were changed. So if I want to assimilate God's word, I must receive it with an open attitude. Come on in. I'm glad you came. Not ooh, you again. <laughs> number two, by reading the word of God. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, in the Good News Version, or the TEV, Happy is the one who reads this book. Other versions say blessed are those who read this book. Now for 1,450 years of history, only the priests had the Bible. Because Bibles weren't widely available. They had to be handwritten and painful. There's a whole study on that. One day I'm going to do that study to show you how we got the Old Testament and the New Testament, and how we know and can be very confident is the total word of God. And there were no errors in that. But in 1450, something happened. What was that? Speak up. Gutenberg. Gutenberg printed the first book in the world, the Bible. Johann Gutenberg. Now, what happened then is God restored the Bible to the people, so they had access to it. And then we had the Reformation. That's what happened. When the, whoa, we've never seen this before. They dived into the Word of God with great eagerness. They welcomed the Word of God, and the Reformation happened. That's what can happen in our lives, too. When we get into the Word of God, Reformation can happen in our lives. Now, the main reason people don't understand the Bible is simply this, one sentence, they don't read it. Some Christians are more faithful to the latest sports page or to ZB or to Leighton Smith than they are to the Word of God. They spend more time listening. Not that Leighton's a bad guy. Or more faithful to three hours of TV, which the average Kiwi watches. They may give three hours to that, but three minutes to the Word of God and expect to have a good spiritual understanding. See, most people know more about, I don't know, Tim the Tall Man than Peter, Paul, and Mary. And many studies, and one specific one called Reveal, which is a very telling study, shows directly and empirically, I love it, facts, that spiritual strength is directly related to engagement in the Word of God. Do you know it's so easy to read through the Bible in a year? The whole Bible... You can read through in about 76 hours at 12 and a half minutes a day. That's all it takes. Or, or here's, a, here's, a, here's a real practical example. Most of you got smartphones, right? Or cell phones. Pull out version. It's a free app and hit audio. And listen to that rather than the drivel on the radio on the way to work and the advertising. What does that do for you? That's one way you can start to get through the Bible. In fact, you cut out one 30-minute TV show every night and you read through the Bible twice in a year. 
Here's another bit of perspective. There are more words in the Saturday Herald than there are in the whole of the entire New Testament. And I know people will sit down and look at that thing from cover to cover. Same with magazines. And again, the question which I brought up last week, why do we spend more time reading the stuff that we don't believe and it's irrelevant to eternity than stuff that's relevant to your long-term future? People say to me, well, I read the Bible and I believe it cover to cover. My question is, have you read it cover to cover? How can you say that without reading it? And if you want a reading plan, if you, if you don't have your own reading plan and you'd like one, we'd be happy to send that to you. Just on your communication card, put reading plan. Martin and Grant have got one that we can send to you. And the third way we need to get into the Word of God is by researching the Word. Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2 from the Good News. Happy are those, which means blessed, and actually the Greek, uh, the Greek actually the Hebrew there, means blessed and to be envied. Happy are those who reject the advice of evil men. Instead, they find their joy in obeying the law of the Lord, and they study it day and night. Day and night. The difference between reading and studying is using a pen and a piece of paper to make notes. You can't honestly say you studied it unless you make notes. All you've done is you've just read it. And that's good, but it could be better. Do you know what I'm saying there? Okay. The fact is anybody can learn to study the Bible. And I taught in depth on this when we, when we did a, a study called 40 Days on the Word. And you can get that on, the, in, on SoundCloud. Here's another thing which I would really, we were just talking with our leaders some time ago, a couple of weeks ago actually, and I would highly recommend if you haven't read this book and seen how it can apply to your life and help you grow as a Christian. There's a couple of books. First one is How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Very, very good by Fian Stewart, and also the, comp, uh, the complementary one. So the first one is the overall view, how to read the Bible for all it's worth. Very, you will not get yourself in a pickle and get deceived and misapply Bible verses, which is a common malaise among Christians. When they take verses out of context, the one on the left is a great one for the overall view. You master that, you're done. And by the way, parents, great thing to teach your kids. Secondly, the second book by them, if you want to move deeper, is how to study the books book by book. And that shows you how to do that. Highly read about it. Now, the secret is all about learning to ask questions. The, one you, the, one, the ones that you learned in primary school, you know, the who, what, when, how, where, so you can then correctly observe Interpret and apply. Now, I want to put something to you. Remember this, though. Study without application leads to stagnation. Study, that's why some of you sometimes who've been studying the Bible for a while, you wonder why you're stagnant. The question is, is there application going on? Study without application leads to stagnation. And one of the best ways to study is small groups, in small groups where you can interact, you can share with each other, you can bounce off each other, you can ask questions. And in New Hope, we have three basic types of styles that we follow. There's discussion, discussion groups, and there's some new ones based on Sunday's outline. We call them a message application guide, and some of the groups have been using those. Other ones, we have DVD ones, where you have questions and answers, and there's a filling guide. 
Now, another good one here to, to use as well, and some of our groups using, is the right now. Is that one? Next slide. Is that one there or not? Yeah, right now. There's over 10,000 free DVD studies that you can get involved in. Are you using those? This is a great, in the old days you used to have to go and you have to pick up the books and stuff like that. Now you can get it on your iPhone, so you can do it during the week. You can on your, on, on your Android, on your computer, whatever it is, there they are. They're all sitting there for you to help you grow. I highly recommend you dig into those. And then you can, you can do your own in-depth ones using independent study methods. And we went through how to study your Bible. So we give you those because my desire, as a family at New Hope Church, you will develop the habit of studying the Bible and know, uh, and know what it says, know what it means, and how to apply it, and ultimately it produces a changed life. See, the ultimate goal, let me send a sentence. The ultimate goal of Christian education is Christ-like character. It is not just to learn a bunch of facts, but you need to know those facts. So, I can get more out of my Bible, number four, by remembering God's Word. By remembering God's Word. The Bible says in Colossians 3.16, Remember what Christ taught. And, so, one, and two, let his word enrich your lives and make you wise. Nothing will do more for your Christian growth and inner security is the Holy Spirit bringing to your remembrance scriptures that you have memorized. There are many benefits, especially when you're tempted. Victory over worry. Memorizing scripture will help you Fight depression. It'll give you confidence in witnessing. It's useful, very useful in counseling others. You're hearing the situation, and all of a sudden God will bring a, a scripture to your mind that you can share with them. See, again, it's not our opinions that matter. It's God's word that matters. And Psalm 119 says this as a good example. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's the one that helps Overcome temptation. I have stored up your word, the Bible, in my heart, that I may not sin against you. And Jesus, look at Jesus as an example. He often quoted scripture and used it as a sword, the sword of the Spirit. Now, some of you are going, well, that's all very well and good, Ian, but I can't remember. I have real problems remembering where I put my keys. <laughs> Can I suggest to you, we remember what's important to us. The real question is, is do I know some people who will try and tell me that, but they can remember a score on a rugby league game three years ago. I don't have a clue. We remember what's important to us. I also read this week that Throughout your lifetime, you will roughly spend around about six months sitting at red lights. In Auckland, that probably needs to be extended a little. <laughs> okay. What if you were, though, to say, you know, I do want to put more scriptures in my heart. Choose a few. Put them in as a little card. Write them out in your own handwriting. It helps, I found. And then just tuck them under your sun visor. And every time you stop at that light, whip down that thing, 
You've got two or three minutes. You'd be surprised. You'll remember an awful lot of scriptures if you committed to do that by just doing that one simple trick. Here's a great one to start with. Romans 12, 12. Look how impactful this is. Be joyful in hope. Faithful, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Be joyful in hope. Most of us need to be joyful in hope because we get overwhelmed by the negativity and the bad stuff in this world. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. If you just took that one, I guarantee you, put that in your visor this week. You've got it nailed. That's one more. And the key to memorization is just review. So three suggestions. Start with one verse. Choose your own. That's just one. If you get a better one, take it. Two, use cards and keep them for reviews. Three, get a partner. This is one. If I'm trying to remember a decent chunk of scripture, I will... um. Once I've done it, and I'm sure I've done it, I give it to my wife and say, check me, make sure I'm word perfect. Please be word perfect, otherwise it'll mess with your head. It's better to get it dead right. And then finally, by reflecting on God's word. I want you to read this next verse with me from 2 Timothy 2.7. That's reflecting on God's word. Two Timothy two verse seven. You got that in your outlines? Okay, let's read it out loud with enthusiasm. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight. Great. Now, some of you need to fasten your safety belts here. This goes beyond memorization. Beyond, and this is the good part. This is what, I love this part. The Bible calls this the step beyond memorization meditation meditation this is not crossing your fingers in the lotus position and going hmm, and contemplating your navel it is not that new age has tried to hijack that what does it mean it's the exact opposite be very careful of anything that ever tells you to clear your mind very careful That's, this is the exact opposite the scripture is talking about let me give you a definition so we're clear Meditation is serious thinking about the meaning of a verse. See, the Bible says, think on those things that are good and wholesome and of good repute. Huh? This is good repute. And, and what does this mean? And we're thinking, what does this mean to me? Now, some of you say, well, I don't know, I can do that, Pastor Ian. Well, let me say this to you. How many of you here know how to worry? Okay, okay. Worry is simply negatively meditating on a negative thought over and over and over. And what happens to that worry? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Right? Conversely, Christian meditation is exactly the opposite. It's when you take a scripture and you reflect on it and it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and God's Will, his plan, gets bigger, and your worry actually goes down. It's up front and center in your mind. Now, how do you apply Scripture to my life? This is another quick thought here. Beneath every story in the Bible, there's a timeless principle. You need to read the Scriptures and look. Find the principle being taught, and then there's a bridge over to me today. It's very simple. 
First comes interpretation. What did it mean to them back there? This is generally how you do it. Very simple. Three steps. What did it mean to them back there? Secondly, what is the principle that was trying to be communicated back there? And then thirdly, what does it mean to me today? That's good exegesis. Joshua 1.8 says, Do not let this book of the law, he's talking about the Bible, depart from your mouth. Here he is. He says, meditate upon it. There's that word, biblical. Meditate upon it day and night. See, it's always going over and over in your head. Reflect on it or think about it seriously so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So how do I get more out of my Bible? First, I must accept its authority. Second, I must assimilate its truths. And I've just given you quickly, very, very quickly, five ways by reading it, receiving it, reading it, researching it, remembering it, reflecting on it, but that's not the end. Finally, I must, 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 must apply its principles. I must apply, apply it. This is what the whole parable was in Matthew 7. There's one that scares me, Matthew 7. But let me give you D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody said this, the Bible was not given to increase knowledge, but to change lives. Change lives, changed. And ultimately, our goal of reading and studying and memorizing and meditating the Bible is application. I must act on what I know to do. And that will make me more like Christ. That's why on every Sunday, I don't stand up here and talk about the clinical history of the Jebusites. You can read about that. that nothing wrong with that. Or who was riding the red horse in the book of Revelation? You can read about that too. But I've only got about 35 minutes. And so I want to look at the most important thing, and that is, what do I do with what I've heard? And I'll try to give you some practical go-to what you can do. What's this going to do in my life? How's it going to change me? John 13, 17. Now that you know these things, see, knowledge must come first. You'll be blessed if you do them. Now that you know them, if you want to be blessed from your Bible, you'll be blessed if you do them. There's the link. Now, question. Just because we know something, does that mean that we're actually doing it? No way. James 1, this is the brother of Jesus speaking. I'd love to talk to this guy when I get to him. I can't wait to speak to this guy. He says, do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves. Ooh, I'm getting nervous about now. Do what it says. To hear something without doing it is self-deception, guaranteed. The question is this to you and I today. What has God already told you to do that you need to start taking action on? Everybody here knows more than we're acting on. We need to be doers of the word because knowledge increases accountability. You'll see that all the way through Scripture. So God wants everybody to grow, every Christian to grow. He wants you to grow. And some of you are saying, well, that's real good what we just talked about today, Pastor Ian, but I've already heard all that stuff before. Okay. If you've heard it, I've got a verse for you. Hebrews 
We have so much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the elementary truths of the Word of God over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk is still being an infant and is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. Now, point. One of the marks of maturity is I start teaching others. Question. Who are you teaching? If you know these things, you should be teaching them. It's not just to consume, to fill my tank up. That's why you have notes right there in front of you. I give you these because my hope as a pastor is that you'll use these to teach others. To share God's word, not your thoughts, not my thoughts, God's word with other people. Now let me evaluate my life. How mature am I? Do I need to review these things that we looked at today? Or I'm just giving mental assent to them? Or am I already starting to teach them? I want you to consider making three commitments, things that you can act on as we close. Three commitments I want you to consider acting on. Number one, will I accept God's word as a final authority for my life? I want you to settle that issue. Every serious Christian needs to choose God's word over the world. And when, the, when I wonder what should I be doing, I'm not going to say, what do I feel? What does my puny mind think? Or what is everybody else doing? Or what does that culture say? But I'm going to say, what does the Bible say about this exact principle? What about those parts I don't understand? You know, friends, a lot of the time it's not what we don't understand. But it's that we don't want to understand it. The one that says, keep yourself sexually pure. It means no sleeping around. If you're not married to the girl or the guy, don't sleep with them. That's it. Nothing unclear about that. But culture says, ah, everybody's doing it. Don't worry about it. Mark Twain said it beautifully. He said, the problem I have with the Bible are not the parts I don't understand. The problem I have with the Bible is the parts I do understand and I know I ought to be doing. <laughs> That's the one I have too. Maybe like you. Number two. Will you make the commitment? Will you begin a regular intake of the Word of God? Or has that gotten a little bit, you haven't paid, the, as the Bible said this morning, careful attention to that. You go, oh, I'm busy. Mm. Mm. This is fighting for the values, not the culture. Don't let the culture push you into its mold with its business. My wife and I have many discussions about this. Sometimes the culture pushes you so hard, you don't seemingly have time. Well, actually, you do have time for the things that you consider. You're still in charge. You still have a choice. You can still say to the boss, no. It's a legal word, no. Because if you don't say no, he's saying yes for you, or she is. You have to choose what you're going to do. So will you begin a regular program of the intake of the Word of God to read it? Step one, you can't do anything without reading it. Two, to research it. Three, to memorize it. Four, to reflect on it. And then thirdly, will I join a small group? Some of you have been going to this church a while, but you haven't joined a small group yet. Somewhere where you can share and learn insights from. It's absolutely essential because you start with knowledge, 
Then you gain perspective through discussion, and then knowledge becomes eventually a conviction. That's really important. You don't get from knowledge to conviction without discussing. The Bible says, be doers of the word. Let's bow for prayer. Just as the musicians are coming up, I just want to say that somebody one day asked George Whitfield one, when are you going to stop preaching on a certain topic? And Whitfield said, when are you going to start doing it? Would you be a doer of the word today? Would you say, God, I accept your word as my final authority in my life. Whatever it says, I will do to the best of my ability. God, I want to take a regular intake daily of your word. Holy Spirit, remind me today, tomorrow, and the days of my life, convict me when I'm sliding, when I'm drifting. Help me to memorize it. Help me to study it. Would you today commit yourself to be part of a small group where you can really get serious with God and work with a team? Some of you here today ought to be teachers. And you say, well, you can't teach, but let me say this to you. The fastest way to grow is to start teaching. God doesn't need perfection. He needs availability, a humble heart, and engagement with his word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the people at our church. I thank you for everybody that loves your word. Evidenced by the fact that they come here each week as we look at it together. We thank you that your word is incredibly practical and relevant and it straightens us up and shapes us up. Speak to each of us in a way that we need to be spoken to. Father, as we read your word and we fellowship with the Holy Spirit, illuminate the scriptures and the things that you need to Make us more like your son, Jesus.